Hey, Peter. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It's going good. Yeah, I'm in you full and Butch Hancock mode. That's a good place to be. I've been that way for about 35 years. I'm not going to measure my life in magazine installments anymore. I'm going to measure it in full moons. Twang Twang is crazy for Butch Hancock. We love him so much that we created this special podcast as a tribute to him. My name is Jeff Haley, and along with Chris Searles, we've asked three fine folks to help us with this. We've asked Peter Blackstock, Tiffany Walker, and Bobby Bridger to help us dig deeper into what makes Butch Hancock a great artist. Butch Hancock has played professionally in Texas since 1972. And his songwriting is so acclaimed that he is frequently referred to as the West Texas Bob Dylan. I remember like Griff, Griff and I were friends and he was like, yeah, he's like the West Texas Bob Dylan. Tiffany Walker is a music journalist and a friend of Butch Hancock's. But that was always just so perfect. And I always just thought that was the perfect way <laughs> to describe Butch. That sort of West Texas Dylan thing is a, a shorthand that's used to describe him a lot. Peter Blackstock is a staff writer for the Austin American Statesman and a co-founder of No Depression Magazine. And I kind of agree with that, but it's also, you know, you could call him the West Texas Woody Guthrie, too. And, and there's also certain things about what he does as a songwriter that's, that's different from the other legends. Our own Chris Searles has played off and on with Butch Hancock for 20 years. He had some thoughts on the origins of Butch's artistry. He started out learning to play guitar by driving a tractor one direction for an hour and then turning around driving it back the other way for an hour. And the, the tractor was in the key of G or D or something like that. And so he learned to play at work. West Texas has its own unbelievable story of these culture change artists from Waylon Jennings and John Denver and Roy Orbison to Buddy Holly and, and a lot of other people. I wanted to find out about the Flatlanders, the great trio that Butch was a part of in the 1970s. They have always worked so well together because they all have different strengths, I think. They were just, you know, college guys or college-aged people in a shared house. And that whole idea that somebody was always doing something. Part of it also is just the long history that they meant when they were all school kids in Lubbock. And um, that's a significant bond. Anybody that you were friends with since you were, you know, teenagers or even preteens that that you still connect with throughout your life is a is a is a big is a significant thing. I think they were 18, 19, 20 year old people. So it was like a really lot, a lot of intense experiences happened at once. For me, it was always sort of like this this perfect trinity um, where. Jimmy Dale was this uncommonly great singer. Uh, Joe Ely was this incredible, energetic live performer. And Butch Hancock was this just unparalleled songwriter. And I really like uh, Jimmy and, and Butch as performers, too, either as a duo or, or on their own. And Joe, Joe's got a, a cool voice, and, and Butch has has a sort of a 
an unusual voice, but it's it's one that, or or maybe a sort of every man kind of voice, but it's one that suits his material really well. But for for sure, the the thing that that makes the three of them work is is these different strengths that they have that when they're brought together just make them, you know, in my opinion, one of the best trios American music has ever had. I'd call you my home. I was a highway. I'd stretch alongside you. I'd help you pass by ways that have dissatisfied you. If I was a highway. I'd be stretching. I'd be fetching you home. And for those guys, for the Flatlanders guys in that house, I, I, I've always had the sense that they wanted to be on their own journey, each in you know their own way. And so the the energy amongst them has always been that there's you know three intensely seeker-oriented people, three true artists that are. Um, coming from a, a similar background and have a real brotherly, you know, uh, camaraderie and, and natural love, and that they, for them to have a time that they could live together, like that was just the perfect thing. You know, there was, it was before their lives went into a different phase of adulthood, and so they were empowering each other and all these other, you know, kinds of modern ideas where it was just a, a creative immersion mixed with coming of age and being uniquely um, West Texas people. And they all live together in a house, I think. I know that Joe and Jimmy and Butch did, and uh, it was one of those houses where people just kind of went into and out of, and people were sleeping on the couch, and people were sleeping upstairs or practically on the roof or something, you know. Um, I've been to that house about five years ago. I was on the way back from... My wife and I were coming back from a trip up to the the Rockies, and when we were coming back through, and we went through Lubbock, so we went we went by. I just felt like it was a place I I had to see because I knew that was that was the house where Bluebird was written, and I had heard so many things about it. And Butch even has a song called 14th Street that he played that night at. Um, at the the No Two Alike series, that was about uh, about that place and that time. So, so it meant a lot to me to be able to see it. But the stars fell on 14th Street. I was living with some friends of mine, and the night sky burned in the city heat. But the fire must have been. I think they did all come to Kerrville in like 73 or 71 or something and play under a tree and like Jesus, they attracted some huge audience. <laughs> this legendary story that I only heard them tell once and, um, you know, they ended up becoming celebrated at Kerrville before they were really famous, just again, because they were such an interesting, wonderful sound. Musician, playwright, and songwriter Bobby Bridger has toured with Butch Hancock many times over the years. 
I'll go back to the beginning, though. I met him in 1974. No, no, 1975. I've done a lot of Kerrville on the road tours with him. We were on the sesquicentennial tour for Texas, Kerrville on the road. When we were in Moscow, he came to me one day and said, uh, hey, let's go for a walk. And we left the hotel and headed out walking. And he was doing what he called uh, side shots at that point with his camera. Uh, he's quite the photographer. And he uh, would hold the camera down by his hip and when people didn't know what he was doing and just, and just not even thinking, hit the snap button take pictures and we just got lost in that whole creative exercise and the next thing we knew we had no idea where we were <laughs> and spoke no Russian <laughs> except except yet <laughs> so forth and uh, we're lost and had to manage our way back to Red Square by making sign six and finally got back home after four or five hours of being lost. In addition to being this wonderful songwriter, he's also very much an artist since ever since the world, like he paints and draws and takes photographs. So he had his camera with him and he started showing me all these pictures of, that he'd taken on his camera. And there must have been like hundreds, like hundreds and hundreds of pictures that he'd taken out in, in Lubbock, and he lives out in Terlingua most of the time, and that he'd taken out driving. He took the photos while he was driving, <laughs> and pictures of clouds and like mirages on the horizon. And at first I was just like, wow, you know, this is crazy that anyone has all these pictures. But like, he literally saw something special and unique about every single one of them. You know, I just was like listening to him explain and, you know, talk about them all. And the more he talked, like, you know, it was, kind of, it was kind of meditative. The more you pay attention to like your breath, the more fascinating it becomes. Which came from this, um, as far as I understand it, this basically farmer type family and wanted to be an architect and Meanwhile, they all, you know, also wanted to be songwriters and, and poets and um, philosophers and rock stars and country music stars. I said, uh, one yeah, of them like about an hour um, long. And, and there was a really, like, yeah, 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 kind of it was just, uh, you know, it validated one of the truly great Texas singer-songwriters at that time. It was early 1990 when Butch did No Two Like at the Cactus Cafe. Yeah, January 31st through February 6th were the dates. Wow. 1990. Right, so that's right when when Twang Twang was playing at the Cactus a lot. So right, it yeah. Like this, it was like this thing where this like something really special was happening. You just could feel it, even even though I probably didn't even know if if you were a bluebird at that point. I, I knew that like this something very important was happening at the Cactus. It was. It was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a big story about it for the Statesman, and then I wrote a review of the shows that they ended up sort of photocopying 
the review, uh, Barbara Roseman, who worked with, with Butch at the time, and they used that that review as part of their promo to try to get people to buy the whole tape series once once they released that. So that was that was very central to my time in Austin. That week of just incredible music there. pull up my iTunes to see how many songs he has. He has like hundreds. Um, and there was a really kind of famous show here in Austin that they did at the Cactus Cafe called No Two Alike, where it was, I think it was originally like five nights in a row. And the whole premise was that Butch would not would play all five nights in a row and not repeat a single song. And he played all songs that he had written. Um, and then I think the first one was extended to six nights. At least and then, you know, um, and probably as much as 200 people in that room on any given night, and maybe even a little more the night that the whole Flatlanders played. They played on the the Sunday, which was going to be the finale, but then it got held over one more night because Butch had songs that he hadn't gotten to and wanted to play play one more. Oh, I forgot about but, that. Uh, so yeah, it started on on Tuesday and then went through the following Monday. Uh, wow! But, uh, I had just, you know, maybe other people had done stuff like that before, probably so. But it was certainly the first time I had ever experienced somebody just digging that deeply into their catalog. And with with Butch, it was great because there were a lot of, you know, there were quite a few songs that he had never even recorded that that are only on those tapes. When you're ready for steady Dancing and prancing Grab your darling and hop in your car Drive right on down to the bright side of town You'll be happy you don't have to drive far You'll be glad you don't have to drive far Park your pickups and Cadillacs and your Fords and Renaults Get out and dance like the Dickens to the West Texas Wall Thanks for listening to our tribute to Butch Hancock. This concludes part one. Next week we're going to put out part two, and you'll hear about the Rio Grande River, architecture, and we'll listen to a song called Split and Slide. We would like to thank our friends, Peter Blackstock, Tiffany Walker, and Bobby Bridger. Thank you for all your insights and stories. And a big shout out to Mr. Chris Searles. Have a great day, y'all. Grandmammy and grandpappy, if you plan to stay happy, you better lace up your best dancing shoes. Come see us, don't ride us, you can stop your arthritis just by dancing away your blues. Just by dancing away your blues. So bind up your bunions with band-aids and galls and start dancing like the Dickens to the West Texas walls. I got me a brown cow dog and I told him how now dog you're a borderline collie I'm a borderline